This morning I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews. And as you're finding your place there in Hebrews chapter 11, I want to begin by saying that since we completed our study a couple of months ago out of the book of James, I know that we have been dealing with some familiar truths. I know that we have been dealing with some things that maybe we're all familiar with. And yet, as I've said before, I'm going to say again right now that I know the reminder has been necessary and good for me. Just because I know something doesn't mean I always live according to what it is I say that I know. And so this morning, as, as has happened in the last few weeks already, we're going to be looking at something. You may leave here today saying, I already know that. Good. I needed this, and I bet someone else needs it today. And so if it's you that needs it, fantastic. If it's not you that needs it, then that's okay too. But just be patient and uh, play along like you do need it, okay? Because it might be more relevant than we care to admit. So that in mind, I want to begin this morning by talking about something that, again, we all know to be true. I think all of us would acknowledge this. But I'd like to begin with this statement that there are things that happen as we go through life that we can grasp and we can understand and we can logically figure out in our minds why this happened. And as a result of that, it doesn't bother us much, if any. At the same time, there are things that happen from time to time that if we were honest, we would have to say this, I don't understand that. This doesn't make sense. I, I can't wrap my mind around this and maybe we would say something like this, because we can't understand it and we can't wrap our minds around it, because it doesn't make sense to us, we might even go so far as to say something like this, that isn't fair. That's just not fair. Now to try to illustrate what it is I'm talking about, just let me give us a couple of thoughts. And again, you may not need this, but others, this may be of help to them, so... I would explain this or illustrate it like this. Suppose for a moment that you know someone who has been a smoker for years. I'm not being critical of that right now for just a moment. Let's just think about it, though. Someone who has been a smoker for years, let's just say that as a result of many years of smoking, they are eventually diagnosed with some kind of a cancer. I think you and I, we would say something like this. I can understand that. I mean, the warnings have been there for years. They've tried to tell people for years that this will cause cancer, or at least it can cause cancer. And, and they have ignored the warnings. They have ignored all the, 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 the help that people have tried to give. And, and so now this is the result of it. Well, I, I can understand that. And for lack of better words, our sympathy level may be a little bit lower for that person. But when you and I hear of a child, an innocent child, being diagnosed with some kind of a cancer, we would say something to this effect, or at least I would. Well, my brain just can't understand that. My brain just can't comprehend that. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. Again, to illustrate it, just one more way to try to explain what this is I'm talking about. 
Over the years, I have done many, many, many funerals. Now, I know that there's never really an enjoyable time to do a funeral, but but whenever I've done a funeral for someone who has lived 75, 80, 85, 90 years, I know there's a measure of difficulty for the family associated with that, but you look at that scenario and you say, well, I can understand it. They've lived a good long life and, and, and they were able to do so many things that they wanted to do. And, and so while there might be a little bit of emotion attached to that, it's, it's not something that we wrestle with long term. But yet when you hear of a young person dying in some kind of a rare, odd, unique situation, You almost think to yourself, how could such a thing happen? That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. That doesn't make sense. So again, to to try to get our thoughts going in this particular direction, I, I want us to think about this. Things happen sometimes. We can understand it. And so therefore, we don't wrestle with it as much as maybe we otherwise would if it just doesn't make sense to us. And I think we know this to be true as well, is that when things happen sometimes that people don't understand, that don't make sense, that don't seem fair, the emotions and the feelings that are associated with that event can vary immensely. I think we've all known people who have gone through situations that they did not understand, that they didn't think was fair, and they have wrestled with the emotion of anger. For whatever reason, they're just angry that everything happened the way that it happened. For some people, the emotion and the feeling that they're wrestling with would just be a sadness or a sorrow. And and sometimes that can turn into what we might refer to as a state of depression. It's like they cannot get past that moment and everything associated with it. It's not that they're angry as much as it is they're just constantly sad and sorrowful, maybe filled with remorse. And, And so somebody might say that that person is depressed. Sometimes it might be said of the person as to how they have responded that they've just become bitter. They're just a bitter, bitter, bitter individual. So again, people respond to these situations that they don't understand completely different. But here's what all of us know. That the ones who go through life best after a situation like this or an event like this has taken place in their lives, the ones who get through life best are the ones who accept what has happened and move on. It doesn't mean it was easy for them. It doesn't mean that it didn't hit them. It didn't mean or it doesn't mean that the blow was not severe and hard and and difficult to navigate through. But the ones who go through life best are the ones who, when those moments occur, they accept it and the new norm that it has now created for them. And they just decide to carry on in spite of what it is that's happened. As you think about that, this morning as you're in Hebrews chapter 11, I think most of us understand this. 
that in Hebrews chapter 11, we have what is sometimes referred to as the hall of faith or the hall of fame of faith. And what we have in Hebrews chapter 11 is a list of men and women who exemplified great faith in their lives while living on this earth. So as you begin reading, you read of people like Abraham, you read of people like Jacob, you read of people like Noah, you read of people like David, there are people like Rahab who was the harlot. There are many people that we read about by name and some that are just mentioned in a general reference. But when we come to verse number 23, we begin reading of a man that all of us are aware of if we've spent any time in church. The scripture lists Moses as one of those individuals or one of those characters of the scripture who exemplified great faith in the life that he lived. And this morning it's impossible to deal with all the context of his life. It's impossible to deal with all the backstory and, and everything that gets us to this point. So if some of this is a little unclear, you're going to have to go back and read this on your own at a different time. But I want us to begin looking in verse number 23 because here is what it says. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Moses was born at a time as a Jew where the Jewish boys were being destroyed. Their lives were being taken by the Egyptian authority. And so that would explain why he had to be hid for those three months by his parents. But in verse number 24, as a result of extraordinary and supernatural circumstances and things taking place... Moses had been brought into the house of Pharaoh, and it says there in verse number 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, when he was a grown individual, when he was a man for himself, here's what it says, that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So somehow, by the grace of God and by the power of God, Moses knew who he was by way of birth, by way of nationality, by way of descendants. And here is what it says in verse number 24, that when he came to age, when he came to years, here is what he did. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So what does that mean? It means this. He made the choice that I will not identify as the son of the daughter who is the daughter of Pharaoh, who would have been the leader of the people of the Egyptian nation. In verse number 25, it says this, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So I know that we know this, but I want us to be reminded of this, that whenever Moses made the decision to no longer be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he knew that he would suffer as a result of his decision. He knew that there would be a consequence associated with this decision. He knew that it was not going to be something that just happened and everyone accepted and said, well, we've all got to find our own way. No, Moses knew that there would be affliction or suffering associated with this decision that he made, but he chose that rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. In verse number 26, it says this, 
esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, we could spend a long time talking about this verse and what all it means, but I just want to paraphrase this very quickly and say this, that at this stage in the life of Moses, here was what he was more worried about. He was more worried about God's opinion and analysis and evaluation of him than he was anything else this world had to offer. The only thing that Moses was worried about at this stage in his life was, what does God think of me and, and what does God think of the life that I am living? So in verse number 27, it says this, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So in verse number 27, it says that he forsook Egypt and he did not fear the wrath of the king. And so as you think about that, we understand then a little bit as to where Moses is coming from, that as he served God and as he followed God, he did not do so from a casual or marginal perspective. Moses was not one who followed God because it was the trendy thing to do. And Moses did not follow God because of all the promises of blessings and bounty that would come his way if he chose to follow God. No, as Moses made this choice to follow God, here is what he knew. He knew that it would cost him, and he knew that it would cost him in significant ways. There was going to be a price to pay in following God. Again, this was not without some consequence that he made this decision to follow God. As you think about that, please keep this in mind that when Moses made the decision to walk away from everything he had known in his early years and, and early adult years, I want us to be aware of this, that whenever Moses made those decisions, he had no idea what God was going to do with him over the course of the next 80 years. Moses never sat down and said, well, I think here's what will probably happen as a result of me forsaking Egypt and not fearing the wrath of the king. Here's what I think will probably happen. I think I'll probably find myself in the backside of the desert for about 40 years while God prepares me for something great and, and fantastic. Moses didn't have that kind of discernment, and Moses didn't have that kind of understanding. Moses had no idea what was going to happen. He just knew, this is what I have to do right now. This is the step that I have to take in obedience to God's will for my life. And so as he was following God in obedience, it did take him to the backside of the desert for 40 years, where God matured him, where God developed him, and where God made him ready for what? for leading the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now again, there is so much backstory here that could be talked about, that could be discussed and dealt with, but I want us to just kind of fast forward through that and consider this, that when Israel was finally kicked out of Egypt by the Egyptians, as Moses was the leader of the, of the Jews, however, million, however many millions of Jews it would have been, Moses found himself in what would have to be one of the most trying positions anyone could ever find themselves in. 
For those of us who deal with people on somewhat of a regular basis, let's just be honest, people can be a bit frustrating at times, can they not? They absolutely can. You say, I don't know, I never deal with people. Get a life, you'll realize they're frustrating sometimes. Now, I'm just saying this, Moses was in a position that none of us could imagine being in. He was the leader of two to three million Jews, and you know what they wanted to do all the time? Gripe and complain, murmur and moan, and blame almost everything on Moses. We're hungry. Moses, this has got to be your fault. Moses, we're tired. Why did you bring us out here? Moses, we're thirsty. Moses, whatever the complaint was, this is your fault. I mean, everything that went wrong, they tried to pin it on Moses. Now, I just, again, I just want us to be honest this morning. We don't have to get excited about this, but let's just be honest this morning. If you've ever been around one griper and one complainer, what do you want to tell them to do eventually? Shut up and leave me alone. Some of you are more spiritual than I am. You're looking at me like, no, I'm just so patient and so loving. Okay, I'm just telling you, whenever I'm around people who just want to gripe and complain and they see the negative and everything, even if they're not blaming me, I just want to say, shut up. Stop talking to me about this. I'm tired of hearing it. And Moses had this on a regular basis. People constantly coming to him saying, Moses... We're tired, and we're hungry, and we don't like where we're at. They were constantly coming to him with different things that he was expected to resolve, and the burden was so great that his father-in-law said, if you don't divvy this up amongst some of the people, they will wear you out and destroy you. I'm just saying... Moses was carrying a burden like we have never carried in our lives. So as you think about this, that this morning, I want us to turn now to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 20 is where I'd like us to be for just a couple of moments. And again, this is familiar territory to many of us. But in Numbers chapter 20, we read this. It says in verse number one, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zen in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So in verse number two it says, And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together, notice what it says, against Moses and against Aaron. So they find themselves now in this area of the wilderness. There's no water. And what are they doing? They're bringing it against Moses and against Aaron. And it says in verse number three, and the people chowed with Moses and spake saying, would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? 
And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into or unto this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. Moses, this is bad and this is terrible and you're responsible for all of this. You made us come out of the land of Egypt. Really? He had the authority to make a couple million people leave someplace they didn't want to leave? That's not even remotely true, is it? I mean, you and I can't make one person do something they don't want to do, much less a couple million people do something they don't want to do. But what are they doing? They are blaming Moses and they are blaming Aaron for all of this. So in verse number 6 it says this, And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. So what did God say? God said, Assemble the people together. When you've assembled them upon or around this rock, What did Christ clearly say, or what did God clearly say? He said, speak to the rock, and the rock would give forth the water, and the people and the beast would be able to drink. So in verse number 9, it says, And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together unto the rock, or before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Now, I just read that in a fairly kind tone, did I not? I just said, here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Can I just tell you that that was probably not the tone that Moses used with them that day? I doubt he said, hey, rebels, over here, I want to ask you a question. Am I the one who has to fetch water out of this rock? I bet his tone was such that everyone in the group that day knew Moses isn't real happy right now. Moses has had it up to here, as our mothers used to say. He is fed up with us. He is not happy. So in verse number 11, it says, And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. What did Moses do in anger? He smote the rock rather than speaking to the rock. What was that? It was an act of disobedience. God clearly said, speak, and Moses clearly smote. In what? In anger. Now, for those of us who are pious, for those of us who are self-righteous, we would like to be critical of the act of Moses in smiting the rock rather than speaking to the rock. But I think if we're honest, here's what every one of us would have to do. We have responded in anger at times in ways that were not pleasing to the Lord over situations that were far less frustrating than this one. 
If you haven't, I'll admit that I have. I'm just saying I'm not the one today to be critical of what Moses did, even though it was an act of disobedience. I'm just saying, knowing my failures in the midst of frustrations at times, I can't be real hard on Moses. So here Moses is, and he has completely disobeyed what God clearly commanded. But Moses is, after all, just a man. But it says in verse number 12 that the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore ye shall not bring the congregation into the land which I have given them. Think about that declaration for just a second. Moses, because you did not do what I told you, and because you did not believe me, so as to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, here is the consequence, here is the result of what you have done. You will not bring the congregation into the land that I have given them. The gripers, the complainers, The moaners and the murmurers, they'll enter in. But Moses, you won't. You'll not enter in. Can I just be honest with you and tell you that every time I read this story, I think to myself, that's not fair. I mean, Moses is the one who interceded on behalf of the people on multiple times, which kept them from being destroyed by God. I mean, Moses is the one who went up to the mountain and received the law from God, who was somehow in the presence of God, so much so that his face shone and and he had to put a, a covering on him whenever he came down and was around the people. I mean, this is who Moses was. He forsook everything in Israel, choosing to suffer the affliction that he knew was coming his way. He, he dealt with these Israelites for 40 years. I read this and I think, my goodness, that's not fair. It's not right. I can't wrap my mind around it. It doesn't make sense to me. But you know what? That was the consequence. That was the consequence. I also have a hard time rectifying and and reconciling all this in my mind Because I believe in grace. And I believe in forgiveness. And if God forgave Israel for everything they did, then why couldn't Moses be forgiven of this? I don't know. But it's the way it was. You know what we find in the book of Deuteronomy? If you turn over there real quick. You turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 3. This is still Moses writing and, and giving this record of events.
In Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse number 24, verse number 23 is where we'll start. It says, And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might. And here's what Moses said, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan that goodly mountain and Lebanon. You know what Moses said? He said, Lord, I'm, I'm asking you. Can I please just go over and see it? Can, can, can I touch the soil with my own two feet? Can, can, can I just go in and, and just, just partake of everything you've given us? I, I want us to understand Moses was struggling with this. He's, he's asking the Lord, God, I, I just want to be able. I mean, after 40 years in the desert and after 40 years in the wilderness with all these people, God, I just, I just want to experience that. Notice what he said in verse number 26. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto him, Let it suffice thee. Let this satisfy you. And then here is what Moses said that the Lord spoke to him. Speak no more unto me of this matter. You know what Moses said that the Lord said to him? I don't want to hear another word about it. I don't want you bringing this up again. This is a done deal. We're through talking about it. Don't mention it again. You know what God was saying to Moses in a sense? You need to accept this, whether you like it or not. Whether you understand it or not. Whether you think this is fair or you don't think this is fair, you need to accept it. And you need to move on. It's kind of tough to hear, is it not, if we're honest? Because it shouldn't have been that way in our minds from our perspective. And again, this may just be more reminder than you need. This may be something that, that you don't ever struggle with. But as I was going over all this in my mind this week, and as I was thinking about what happened to Moses... I thought of what, for lack of better words, and please don't take this wrong, but, but I made it personal and I thought this. I, I thought of what's happened to me at times in my life. And it wouldn't hurt you to go ahead and make this personal and, and think of some things that have happened in your life at times that, that collectively we might say this, we didn't like it. We didn't understand it. We couldn't wrap our minds around it, and it just didn't seem fair. We've all been in those situations, have we not? Sometimes, if we're honest, we're kind of like Moses. We're in that position because of our own sin and our own disobedience. None of us have exactly walked the perfect path to where we could say, I had no hand in this. Sometimes we're in these positions that we're in because of our own actions, but sometimes we can honestly say, I'm in this position by no fault of my own. 
I'd like to ask you this morning if you and I have ever had a little bit of that Moses syndrome where we have said to God repeatedly, change my circumstances. Have we ever been in that situation where we've said, God, change my situation? God, I don't like where I'm at. God, I don't like what I'm, what I'm going through. God, I don't like what I'm dealing with. God, it just doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't seem right. Have we ever been in those positions? I'll just tell you again by, by an effort or with an effort of trying to be transparent. Man, I've been there. Lord, I don't like this, and Lord, I don't like this, and Lord, I wish you'd change this, and, and God, if you'd make this different, man, I'd sure be happy if you'd, if you'd change all this and let me get what I want. How many of us have ever had those moments in our lives where it was like the Lord said, uh, let it suffice thee, and we need not speak any more of this matter. You ever had those moments? You said, I don't know what you just said. Okay, I'm going to paraphrase it. Have we ever had those moments where the Lord basically said, uh, you need to just accept this, get over it, and move on? Have we ever been there? Well, it's tough sometimes, isn't it? But who goes through life better when those moments take place? It is the ones who accept it. And carry on. See, here's what all of us know. You and I getting angry didn't fix anything. We just got angry. Being sad and sorrowful and remorseful and putting ourselves into a state of depression, that certainly didn't fix anything. Becoming bitter didn't fix anything. What, what was the best thing we could have done? Accept the new norm, whatever it is, and carry on. Was it easy? Of course it wasn't easy. But the only way we were going to enjoy any quality of life past that moment was to accept it for what it is and say, okay, I've got to continue on now in obedience from this point forward. Amen. We've all been there if we're honest. And the sad reality is this. We'll all be there again at some point in the future. Because none of us will have everything go our way every day, no matter how much we love and serve God. It doesn't matter what we hear on TV or, or, or any place else. The truth of life is this. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes it just isn't fair. So what are we going to do with it? Will we get angry? Will we get bitter? Will we become sad and, and go into a depressed state? Or will we, by the grace of God, say, all right, I think I need to accept this and move on? It has happened and it will happen. But here's what I'd like us to really think about for just a moment, and we'll be dismissed, and that is this. Is it currently happening? So what do you mean? I just mean this. 
Some of us are not wrestling with this from the past, and some of us are not looking at this in the future saying, oh, I could see how it would happen one day. There might be someone in here this morning, if you were honest, you'd have to say, right now, I am in a situation that I don't like. Maybe it is a result of something I've done, but, but, but maybe it isn't a result of something I've done. I don't know what your story would be, just like you wouldn't know what, what anyone else's story would be. But, but you may be sitting here this morning, and you've been wrestling for some time now with this thought, I don't like where I'm at, and I don't like what God is doing, and, and I, don't what, I don't like what God has kind of established or declared in my life right now. Listen, you may not like it. You may not like it right now, what's going on in your life. But you being angry, you being bitter, you being sad, you being mopey, you being irritable and edgy, whatever it may be, that's not going to change anything. And it's not going to fix anything. And you can go to God a thousand times over this situation. If this is what God has for you, then it's what God has for you. Which brings us to this point that if you're going through something right now and it's not changing, you know what would be best? It'd be best if we just accepted it. Said, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at, and this is the situation I'm in, and until something changes, this is where I'm at, and and from this day forward, by the grace of God, I'm going to carry on with the right attitude and a right spirit and a right outlook with a right heart. I am not naive enough to suggest or to believe that every one of us have always got a right heart in the midst of circumstances we don't like. I don't think we're that good. But there comes a point, like Moses, we need to be reminded, stop talking about it, stop dwelling on it, stop bemoaning it, accept it, carry on, and for lack of better words, deal with it. It will get better, and there will be more hard times. But it will get better, and then there will be some hard times. And then it will get better, and then there will be some hard times. But you know what gets to happen at some point? It gets to get better forever. And that's a good thing. But you might as well enjoy it, and I might as well enjoy it as much as possible till we get to that final getting better. Accept it. Say, Lord, if this is what you have for me, then so be it. Whether I understand it or whether I like it or whether I don't, I just want to accept it and move on in a way that pleases you. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. Lord, I don't begin to know what anyone in this room would be wrestling with, what they might be struggling with, what they'd love to see change or to be different in their lives. God, I don't know. 
But, Lord, it happens to all of us, and it may be happening to some today. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us wherever we're at, whatever we'd love to change but don't have the power to do so. I pray that you'd help us to accept it, that we would move on, and with a right heart and a right spirit, just trust you to get us through this time, whatever it may be. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.